Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. Have you heard the one about Moses on top of Mount Sinai? All right, so Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah from God. And God says, Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So Moses says, Okay, does that mean we should never eat any dairy with any meat? And God says, Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses replies, So... Do you mean we should have separate dishes for meat and dairy, and then another two sets of dishes for Passover? And God says, Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses says, Got it. So we should have two separate dishwashers so the meat and dairy dishes never get close to each other. And we shouldn't eat chicken with dairy either because chicken sort of looks like beef. And we should wait two hours after a dairy meal before eating meat, but wait six hours after eating brisket before we have any cheesecake. And God says, fine, have it your way. Thank you, I'll be here all week. Now, I don't know what percentage of the audience of this podcast keeps any form of kosher, but I imagine you're all aware that an important part of traditional Jewish practice has been the laws around diet and what we're allowed to eat. Many of those laws come from and or are mentioned in this week's Parsha. We're reading this week from Parshat Re'eh, which begins at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, and goes through to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17. We're in the midst of Deuteronomy, which means we're still in the midst of Moses' final speeches to the Israelite people just before they cross over into the Promised Land and just before he dies. So in the course of these five chapters, Moses will continue giving advice to the people for the life that they're going to live once they cross into the land. And a lot of this has to do with proper ways to worship God and proper ways to show fidelity to God. For example, we read that proper worship is supposed to happen only in a certain place, which is later identified as Jerusalem, although it never says that in this parsha. We read about proper ways to sacrifice. And finally, a listing of the festival calendar, and specifically the three pilgrimage festivals of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, all of which, of course, are to be celebrated at that central location in Jerusalem. And in the midst of all that, we also read things like this. This is chapter 12, verse 20. et gvulcha. When the Eternal enlarges your territory as God has promised you, and you say, I shall eat some meat, for you have the urge to eat meat, you may eat meat wherever you wish. If the place where the Eternal has chosen to establish God's name is too far from you, that's code word for the temple, by the way, then you may slaughter any of the cattle or sheep that the Eternal gives you, as I have instructed you. And then a chapter later, we read the following. This is chapter 14, verse 3. Lo tochal kol to'eva. You shall not eat anything abhorrent. Zot ha asher tochelu. These are the animals that you may eat. And then it goes on for most of the rest of the chapter to list 
which animals may be eaten. Mammals have to have a cloven hoof and chew their cud. Fish have to have fins and scales. Birds, there's a list of what you can and can't eat. Largely, you can't eat birds of prey. And all of that culminates in the second half of verse 21. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So there we have three separate passages all about food. One that says, you can eat meat, and you can eat it wherever you want, as long as you slaughter it properly. And the rabbis later take that to be the impetus for the laws of kosher slaughter, of shechita, which, um, without going into a lot of detail, require that an animal be slaughtered with a single swipe across the neck with a knife, with a knife that has no nicks or cuts in it in order to cause less pain. The second passage is a list of animals that Israelites may and may not eat. This is where we get the idea that Jews don't eat pork, for example, or shellfish, because those are not within the proper categories. And that culminates in the third passage, which says you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That, as you may have gathered from the joke, is the traditional impetus for not mixing together meat and dairy. So a lot of the traditional laws of kashrut, what you can eat, how you kill it, and what you're allowed to mix it with, come right here from this parsha. Those laws, of course, continue to be expanded in the rabbinic literature over the course of hundreds and even thousands of years. And in order to understand the meaning and import of these dietary laws, I think it's important to look not just at the laws themselves, but also at the context in which they appear in the Parsha. Now, I mentioned earlier that this Parsha begins with laws of worship and sacrifice and ends with descriptions of holidays, which are also very much about worship and sacrifice. And so we have to imagine that this eating stuff also somehow fits in that overall overall context of worship and sacrifice. In fact, when I read that first passage, the one about meat, you may have noticed that the Torah makes kind of an unexpected statement. It said, if the temple is too far away, then you're welcome to eat meat wherever you want. Thanks, God, but why do we need that permission? Isn't it obvious that we can eat meat wherever we want to, for those who eat meat, of course? The answer is that this passage seems to be hinting at the fact that the eating of meat was originally connected with worship, that the eating of meat would have been something that was done in a holy site, the slaughter performed perhaps by a priestly figure, and that the eating was maybe even some kind of an act of worship. And that made sense as long as it was easy to get to the temple. But as soon as there was a centralized temple and it was far away, you couldn't go to Jerusalem every time you wanted to have a hamburger. And so the Torah gives permission to eat meat wherever you want. That's interesting because it teaches us that eating is connected with holiness in Judaism. Eating is connected with worship. And we get further indication of that later in chapter 14 when it lists all those foods that you may and may not eat. Because the chapter begins with the words, Lo tochal kol to'eva. You shall not eat anything abhorrent. Now the word to'eva sometimes means something that is disgusting in the sense of being unclean, or dirty, or wicked. But often, and maybe more often, it refers to something that is ritually unclean. 
something that is not fit for a worship environment. In other words, the foods that are clean and unclean in the Torah are defined in a context of worship. Maybe these were even originally cultic worship laws, and they made their way out to the people and became the laws of what everyone is and is not allowed to eat. Either way, almost every law of what we're allowed to eat has its basis in something related to worship or holiness. And that's equally true of that final verse, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That passage actually appears three times in the Torah, once here in Deuteronomy where its context is dietary laws, and twice back in Exodus where its context is much more about festivals and worship. Some scholars believe that the reason for this was the cruelty of boiling a baby animal in its own mother's milk, and therefore it's more of a dietary issue. Some scholars believe that this was a pagan or non-Israelite ritual, and the reason we don't do it is because it was a form of worship that was rejected by our people. So here again we see one last time that there is a worship context to these dietary laws, that the things you can and can't eat are measured at least in part by our awareness of God's presence in the world and desire to recognize that holiness and that presence. In ancient times, that meant eating certain things and not boiling a kid in its mother's milk. And the question for us is, what does it mean in modern times? Now, many Jews today continue to keep versions of these dietary laws. Orthodox Jews certainly understand themselves to be bound by the rabbinic version of these laws, even to this day. And many liberal Jews also keep various elements of them, although we might do it for different reasons. I have separate sets of dishes in my house for meat and for dairy, even though I personally don't eat meat, but other members of my family do. And I think some of the impetus for a liberal Jew to keep aspects of the Jewish dietary laws actually goes back to this ancient connection between eating and worship. The Torah's basic message here is eating is a holy act. Eating is an act of being aware of God's presence. You do that through the things that you eat, through the way that you kill your food, and through the context in which you eat. That's true no less in modern times than in ancient times, although the way we choose to keep these commandments might vary from person to person in liberal Judaism. Again, some Jews might choose to keep these in more traditional ways, separate dishes, only eating meat that was shechted, that was slaughtered in a kosher way, separating meat and dairy in their meals. Other Jews might look to find other ways of expressing the idea that eating is an act of worship. For example, by eating organic or local or non-GMO or these various ways through which we try to be aware of the content of our food, by being aware of the treatment of animals and of workers that are involved in the production of our food, through vegetarianism. And I could do a whole other podcast on why vegetarianism is a Jewish value. All of these are or can be expressions of the Jewish values inherent in the dietary laws, and to keep kosher as a liberal Jew often means building your own set of practices that combine various ways of being thoughtful about eating, various ways that are a combination of traditional and non-traditional practices. 
when it comes down to it, what we're really trying to do is to live words of Torah, words that teach that eating is an act of holiness or worship, that every time we put food in our mouths, it is an opportunity to be aware of God's presence in whatever way we conceive God, and to be aware of our responsibility to maintain the holiness, the sanctity of the world in which we live. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on your podcast app, and please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. You can also join us in our Facebook group, 7-Minute Torah Listen and Discuss.